I definitely don't want to do Army. I definitely don't want to do Marine Corps because I'm like this 113-pound skinny kid. And then um, Top Gun was big at the time, right? So I'm like, all right, this Navy thing is cool. Um, my commanding officer, he's like, one day you're going to be a command master. I'm like, who's this? Produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Hey, welcome to another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary with the Listed Leadership Foundation. Joining me today is Paul Kingsbury. Paul is a retired sailor. He's a, a Navy Command Master Chief. Actually, his final official title before he transitioned out of the military was one of four fleet Master Chiefs. Paul, good, good afternoon. Welcome. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good to see you. Oh, it's going great. Hey, th- thanks for being here. And everyone else, I, I do want to thank you for being here. And, you know, take a few moments dur- as you watch this or listen to this podcast, subscribe to it, share it out, let people know about it. You can learn more about the Enlisted Leadership Foundation visiting our website, which is at the bottom. You know, Paul, uh, I'd like to start these off with just a little simple question. Uh, at some point in our life, We've given a whole lot of leadership advice, uh, but I think we've probably received more than we ever gave. Uh, so as you were growing up, whether it's pre, pre-military or post-military, maybe during the military, what's the worst piece of leadership advice someone ever gave you? So I was thinking about this earlier too, and I was like, I don't think anyone has directly sat me down and said, do this, and it's a bad leadership piece of advice. But there are some things we grew up with listening listening to or mantras we heard as Navy chiefs, right? So I think the one that that I found, I won't say the most, the most distasteful, but bad advice was this, you know, if you're a chief petty officer, they never fail. And if they fail or if they stumble, they don't fall. And if they fall, you know what I mean? They act like they, so this kind of allusion to like, hey, you can't show that you're imperfect and you can't show that you make mistakes and you can't admit weakness, Um so from that perspective of a of a kind of piece of advice or an expectation of leadership, I always felt that is the opposite of what you want to do. So I always encourage people, hey, um, I think it's good to show when you make mistakes. I think uh, it shows learning and your ability to learn. I show, I think it shows humility and it's authentic. Um, so that's the one thing that I came up. It's not something that's directly told to you, but it's kind of told indirectly through these, you know, fables, I guess I would say. Yeah. You know, I, I always look at when somebody gets very defensive uh, like that and gives me some excuse or that they clearly I, I struck a nerve and they know they're wrong and they're not humble enough to admit mistake. Um, you know, and I'm it sure only, I, I, yeah, it only ends up like in disaster because I've seen it. I've seen when you go into as a leader, you go into that situation or with that mindset and it's not probably at the forefront of your mind, but it's probably s- somewhere there. And then you're in a situation where you're intellectually challenged, um, maybe positionally challenged, and then that kind of mindset creeps in and the defenses kick in and then it just escalates, right? And then you come back and you shut it down and people are watching and it's just not good. It it takes, uh, it leaves a worse impact on things than if you just said, hey, you know, you probably got a point there. Let's come and talk, you know, let's go talk about it. You know, um, well, and, and on the and real quickly on the theme of the chief petty officer, right? Uh, one thing that we always impressed during the transition season 
is which we always say it's not about you anymore. It's about the mess, which is a message we should have started when they first came in the service, not wait until at some point, all of a sudden the leadership's about, but, but that, that in this context of what we're talking about right now, that does reflect on the CPO mess at large. If, if you're a chief that is always defensive or do as I say, not as I do, or giving excuses, then eventually they, they will start, you know, grouping all chief petty officers like that. Um, you know, when I would uh, talk to chief selectees, right, in charge books, the one thing I would always say is challenge them is, uh, and, and I think it ties in, what, what do you want people to think about you as you walk by them on, in the passageway? You know, how many people did we grow up with, that, a, a chief in this case, that as they walk down and over a couple of knee knockers, well, what were you thinking in our mind, Right. Um, so what, what impression are you trying to leave those when you walk by them? So, yeah, um, like, yeah, good. what, what's the behavior, right? Do they yeah. come to you or do they, you'll see that behavior, right? Like, do they move away? Do they come to you? You will definitely see that. Um, and I'm not saying that it's, it's not, a, it's okay to be like, I, I used to always say like, Hey, firm and fair kind of leadership. Um, but I don't want to be unapproachable and I, I definitely don't want to walk into a space and my people walk away, you know, or the conversation just stops and goes quiet and you're like, Hmm. Okay. Um, Which they tend to do once you make chief, but yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, but no, in, in this, in here, our pre frame of reference, obviously with 30 plus years of service as chief petty officers, but I know through bringing in the other service, senior leaders, senior listed leaders, NCOs and, and what have you, other services have this same challenge. Um, you know, they all they all raise the bar. There's a certain expectation for their senior NCOs as there is for the Navy Chief Petty Officer. Um, so, you know, give a little bit background, Paul. Uh, you know, what you know, what brought you, what drew you to the Navy? Uh, what you come in as? Why did you become a Command Master Chief? Because that's something that we choose to do. It's not thrust upon us. And then, you know, how's been transition? Okay. Um so I'll give the cliff notes version because 31 years is, is hard. So um, grew up in Fort Lauderdale and uh, was fortunate enough. You know, my dad was solid working blue collar guy. I worked for Eastern Airlines. Mom was staying home. So I had a good foundation. They sent me to, you know, Catholic middle school and high school. So I had a good education. What I lacked, though, was they didn't have a lot of world life skills. Right. So I wasn't getting the advice on and incur. I don't know if it was not encouragement, but. I had the education, but there was no kind of mentoring about, okay, an encouragement to pursue college and things like that. So I had education, didn't know what to do with it. And next thing I know, these flyers are coming in. Um, I definitely don't want to do army. I definitely don't want to do Marine Corps because I'm like this 113 pound skinny kid. And I'm like, <laughs> that's all you were is yeah. 113. Yes. And that oh was as gosh. a senior. Okay. And then um, Top Gun was big at the time, right? So I'm like, all right, this Navy thing is cool. So went down to the recruiting office, took the ASVAB, scored really, really high. And then he's like, I got another test for you. <laughs> so they pitched nuclear power to me. I took that test. I think I squeaked by that one. I didn't score super high, but it was enough to get by. And then found myself as an electrician's mate uh, in Navy nuclear power surface. I knew the other thing I knew um, I didn't want to do was go on submarines. Um, so, and I thought aircraft carriers were cool. So, um, 
you know, typical nuke pipeline did that the first 15 years. Um, you know, we have accelerated advancement um, and and it's not just given, right? So you still have to, there's yeah, some work, work there's work you got to do. You got to qualify, mm-hmm. you got to do some stuff. You can't just slack around and, and make, get advanced. So, but I knew I had frustrations with nuclear power. There are some great things that come with it. I've written about that, but there's definitely um, a lot of pressures and challenges. And I just didn't want to, I, I had peaked out. I was a department, you know, bull nuke on the Ronald Reagan pre-commissioning at that point. I'd done a prototype tour, you know, I'd run reactor training and I'm like, okay, from here on out at 15, it's like back to prototype, back to an aircraft carrier, right? Not a lot of career diversity. Um, and I wanted to see other stuff. So um, I had mentors that were also like Mashies were like, hey, you'd be great for the command Mashie program. I was a young chief petty officer. This still sticks with me. I was a new chief petty officer on the USS Mississippi. Um, and I only did about 18 months there as a chief because we were decommissioning and the crew was going off. So um, my commanding officer, Larry Lewandowski, I still remember this on a checkout interview. He's like, one day you're going to be a command mass chief. And I'm like, who's this? I wasn't even, I, honestly, at that point, I wasn't even, I was a nine-year chief. I wasn't even bought into the Navy. I was just kind of going along with it. So I'm like, how's this guy? Yeah, whatever. Sure enough, you know, other people saw that and kind of were nudging me along. And I went and you know, applied for the command mass chief program. What is it that you think other people saw that you didn't see in yourself? Um, so I think it has to be, I think they look for um, people that have a good positive attitude, energy, communication skills. Um, and I was still immature, you know, as an adult, honestly. Well, sure. You know, if you came was, in out of high school and you were a nine-year chief, you were just yep. in your late 20s. Yeah. So I was still maturing. You know, I was going through a divorce and things. So I was learning life lessons still too. But I think I wasn't a yes man per se. I mean, I would always grow my hair long, you know, and I, I wasn't Joe Saylor for sure. But, you know, I tried to qualify fast. You know, I knew how to take orders and execute. I knew how to push back the right way. So if I, if I wanted to give feedback that was pushing back, I know how to present that, I think in the right way. So it's professional, not personal. Yeah. And, and, and I hear you say too, that, and I think this is a, this is important, especially today across the military services. If you weren't all bought in, regardless of being a, a young nine-year chief petty officer, your, your motivation wasn't promotion. Your motivation wasn't Putting on anchors, then the next day, what do I need to get in my star? You're, you're, it was the job and the people. Yep. I did not take – so my second tour after the Eisenhower, I went up and did an instructor tour prototype because I liked teaching, right? I, I, I learned early like I have this kind of affinity towards education, and we'll talk about, hey, how that leads to a podcast and the books and stuff. Um, so I love the prototype tour. Uh, I went up there, but I didn't even take the first chief's exam. I, I could give – two F's about taking the chief's exam, you know? And then the second time, actually, no, I did take it, but I had a chief came to me. It's like, Hey, you haven't signed your profile sheet. I'm like, what's that? You know what I mean? I was so focused on being a good nuke and, and getting done, you know, and being a good instructor. I wasn't worried about that kind of thing at the time. Um, so I took the, ex- you know, I took my first exam. I, I made board, didn't get selected. And then, um, the second time I was up, I was on the Mississippi and that point I was like, all right, I'll put a package together and put it in. Cause they're not going to not let me. Someone's following up. And then I was down in birthing and I got a phone call from my chief. I'm like, hey, Chief Kingsbury. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm a chief. Fun um, is on. Yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't, 
a career person at that point. I don't think at all. I not even think I know I wasn't, you know, I was just want, being a good nuke and doing the best I could. So did you leave the Ronald Reagan as a command master chief? Yeah. So I got selected there. So, and then, um, uh, you know, we pre-commissioned, I got selected and then got uh, signed over to the Juno in Japan. So I got what I wanted. I got diverse career choice. So, so, so <laughs> Kathy Hansen would have been your CMC. She point, was, she, was she, so Bob Conklin had just left when okay. she came on board. So I okay. met her briefly and I was already under orders getting ready to leave. So did Tom Howard come into play? Did he relieve, did, wasn't he on Juno? After so he was, so he, um, he was a command mass sheet before me on Juno. Before, so he okay. had been selected to CTF 76 so right. I, okay. and the billet was gapped. So I came in, the billet okay. had been gapped for about five months um, nice. when I came behind him. And then he moved up to seven fleet while I was there. Okay. So, uh, so you do the Juno, um, and at some point you became a region master chief. Yeah. So I did the Juno and then I went to, uh, went back home. Um, cause my commanding officer on the Juno, Ron Horton, he was, he got picked up to be the enterprise CO okay. and he was like, Hey, I want you to come be my CMC. I'm like, well, Hey, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> there's, there's a person there. <laughs> um, you don't just pick and put them there. So he's like, well, why don't you, you know, you'd be a great carrier CMC. You know, you're, you got the carrier background. He's like, why don't you go do a squadron and get that piece of it? I'm like, Oh, that's probably good. It gets that's me good, back. Okay. So I went to VFA 211 and okay. did a tour there. That was really, really good. Great tour and learned a different culture. And then after that, um, I picked up joint region Marianas out in Guam. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That was my first region tour. And then I went to Japan right Japan. after that one, when that came up, I think that's when and, we met. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then safety center and yep. then, uh, short term at safety center, and then you ended up as uh, uh, CFFC. Yeah, Fleet Forces Command. Yep. Yeah, US. Yeah, USSF. USSF. Okay. Um, and so, uh, in this process uh, of you know, fifteen years doing nuke stuff, and then another fifteen, sixteen years as Command Master Chief, and, and you know, for those that although there's no promotions beyond E9, which are an E9, within the senior listed, whether it's Command Master Chief or Sergeant Major Chief, um, there's promotions within. Uh, so it's not like you're you're doing the same thing necessarily over and over and over. Um, but how did all this, uh, just a little transition, how did all this lend into the process of writing uh, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide and the Petty Officer's Guide? Okay. Um, yeah, so I get that. I get asked that a lot. Um, and it's well, kind that's of why I, I wanted to ask it because, yeah. you know, we want to be an authentic podcast and I don't want to not yep. ask the questions that other people would ask. Yep. So it's, um, so I had, I would say it starts when I'm at the safety center, right? So, um, my, uh, our deputy at the time, um, he was a, a Marine Corps Colonel, Glenn Butler. We would have meetings with the boss and the executive director, you know, your typical flag officer, you know, front office morning meeting. Hey, what's going on? You know, cover down some stuff. And then I'd spin out with him to his office and we'd, we'd follow up on some of the things, you know, the Admiral had talked about, or we just start talking about what was going on, big Navy, you know, a leadership failure here or there, or I just start, you know, give it dialing in on some things. I thought about policy and it's like, Hey, have you ever thought of writing this stuff? He's like, I think you write you, you're cause I would give trip reports when I travel around and I'd send them and he'd be included and he'd be like, you have really strong writing skills, um, but have you ever thought of getting published? And I'm like, in proceedings. And I'm like, well, what's proceedings magazine? So he introduces me to the Naval Institute in proceedings. And I'm like, yeah, I got some stuff written. 
um, and I knew some things I wanted to write about. Um, I had written in like base newspapers and things like that, your standard kind of leadership and 101 kind of things. Um, actually, I had written a lot. I wrote in the safety center. It was always about leadership, right? Leadership, communication skills, how you use those kind of things, but never about policy and, and really challenging things. Um, so I, I submitted an article. Um, it was about the role of the senior enlisted leader on the Flagstaff. Um, that one got, it went to the editorial board. They said it was too long. They came back and said, Hey, if you can cut this down into 1500 words, we can publish it. How long was it? It was like 3000. Okay. Right. So I was like, like about 2,500 or 3000. So about, it's about 250 words a page. So about a 10 page thing. And it, I had notes on this already written. So I was like, okay. So I set it aside and then the nuke power cheating thing happened Remember that when like 24, 25 chiefs were caught for basically taking exams, um, taking them home on the on their files and then basically cheating on the exams. So um, I, I wasn't making excuses for that, but I wanted to write about my experience and the reason why nukes will make these kind of decisions, right? Um, and I had learned at the safety center about normalized deviance, um, risk tolerance and the factors that influence people and their their willingness to take more risk, uh, even at great personal or professional cost. So I spun that all into an article um, called When Cheating Becomes Normal. I submitted that. That got published, and that was cool. So Admiral Stavridis at the time sent me a you know a letter and signed, right? So you get a lot of recognition, and people are like, that was a great article. Um, and then it just these articles just started coming out. Um, and then I, I was invited to join their editorial board because I had insight, you know, and kind of what was going on and you help shape the content. You know, it's not about reviewing essays. It's more about what's hot in the fleet that needs to be talked about. So I was helping them with that. And then probably about a year later, uh, I was approached and they're like, Hey, uh, we got this chief petty officer's guide. It was published in 2004. We've been trying to revise it. Um, we'd be willing to do the second edition. So I was like, all right, um, I love writing about leadership. I think I, I don't know everything, but I think I know enough about being a chief petty officer. And um, I think there's enough content out there that we could put something together. So um, I took a year and wrote, wrote that chief petty officer's guide. And then that just naturally led to when I was ready to retire, they were looking for someone to help them um, do outreach on the enlisted side to attract an enlisted audience. So I was offered a position and I just transitioned right into that you know, job and it all worked. But, you know, and that's, that's an important data point when we talk transition and you're not the first person uh, that I know that did some work with, uh, with a company or an organization for profit or nonprofit while in uniform, something that you're passionate about that, that does oftentimes lead to future employment once we transition out. Um, so when did, uh, uh, and again, as a reminder, public service announcement, don't forget to, uh, like the uh, podcast, share it out, and uh, you know, and uh, check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide or the Petty Officer's Guide that that Paul has written about. Um, and then check out Paul's co- podcast, the Cutlass Podcast. So talk to us a little bit about your podcast, Paul. Okay. So, you know, I'm a fan of digital tools of communication. So I, re- I started to learn the impact of that late in my Fleet Mass Chief tour, too late. Um, how to use, cause you know, we all have Facebook pages, you know, the, the position has a Facebook page. I had my personal Facebook page, um, and we would go around do fleet engagements and then take photos. Um, 
and you get some likes and stuff or whatever, like, Hey, I'm out here with sailors and doing this kind of stuff. And then Alicia Malone, who was my EA at the time, um, she's like, Hey, let's try something different. Let's do, we were at a sail the year event. Um, I forget which one it was. It was up at the Navy Memorial. It wasn't the overall sailor year event. It was for, I, I don't know if it was the reserve sailor or, or something. She's like, when you present your core, I'm going to film it as a video, right? So let's do a video. I'm like, okay. So we do this thing, we post it and it just, you could see compared to the pictures and stuff, the video just got all kinds of, so I'm like, okay, this video thing, something people like that. So, um, we came up, we brainstormed, I forget the details, how we did it. Um, but Alicia and I came up with this concept of this Friday with fleet. So we would, every Friday we started spinning up. Initially it was me just talking like Friday with fleet. And then I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't feel natural, you know? So I started making Friday with fleet. So when we would go out, I would get sailors with me or people I was out there with, and we, we'd have them together on video and I kind of interview them, you know, and kind of, and then I Thinking learned like, that. yeah, tag them, their families would follow yeah. and the video was taken, you know, that, that took off. So I, I understood like, Hey, you can get a lot more reach um, with things. I realized with books that people, not everyone reads, Right. And in a digital age, I think the consumption of information is more visual or audio. So I was like, hey, I'm going to, I think I could, there's a lot more I wanted to write in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. You just can't. You're limited. When you write a book, you're given a threshold or an upper limit of words you can write. So I could have, that thing could have been a thousand pages. But again, no one would read that. So I was like, hey, let me compliment that with a podcast. So I started, you know, I, I was learning to podcast at the Naval Institute because I was, co you know, co-podcasting with Ward Carroll um, on enlisted focused topics. So he taught me how to do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't that hard. I operate nuclear power plants. I can do this, right? <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> yes. Um, and I just started I doing it. And then I was like, the biggest thing for me is like, what do I call it? And then one day I looked up and I've got you know, when I left the Juno, you know, I was given a, a cutlass when I left. I'm like, I'm like, cutlass. Hmm. What's the significance of a cutlass? You know, it's something we talk about all the time. I'm like, I don't know much history of the inheritance of the cutlass. And then you learn about it was the enlisted weapon of choice, you know, on ships of sail, the officers had a sword, but there's a reason why, right? Because it was shorter, it was for close quarters, but it was versatile. It wasn't just for fighting. It was for cutting rope and doing kind of maintenance on you know, ships of sail and things like that. So this concept of sturdiness, it's a very sturdy weapon, credibility and flexibility it gave you. I was like, that's the kind of leadership attributes you want, right? You want to be a sturdy leader who's credible and versatile, right? So it all just kind of all came together. So I called it Cutlass Podcast and just started picking topics out of the, uh, out of the CPO guide and reaching out to, you know, command mass chiefs and people I knew and other senior enlisted leaders retired mostly um, and just said, Hey, will you join me for a topic? And they were all ready, willing and able. And it's spun out to about 50 episodes now. Um, and it, it's not, I, it does. Okay. You know, it's not you know super big cause that's on me. I haven't been consistent with it cause with work and stuff, I haven't been able to consistently push out content, but I do recycle the episodes and share them on different social media channels, but there's 50 episodes. And just in those 50, there's a ton of great leadership insights and information out there that people could share or learn from. So. Produced by podcast architects.